Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Everyone likes the best bits and that's why we thought it was about time that we went back through the Inside Sponsorship archives, re-listened to some of the absolutely amazing guests that have so generously taken us inside their commercial programmes and pick out some of the gold that we think you should hear again. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and welcome to episode 45 of Inside Sponsorship. Now, before we get to the best bits, I just need to give a shout out to Tomas Rosenek, who is Director, Central Sales at Lagadier Sports, and he connected with me on LinkedIn and shot me a message that said, I found your podcast through Sports Recruitment International a few weeks ago, and since then, I'm a faithful listener. With your guests, you provide great insights. Thanks for getting in touch, Tomas. Glad you love the show, and thanks for the kind words, but... To be fair, it's less about me and more about the guests we have on the show who provide the real value. I just do the best, try and ask the right questions. And over that journey so far, as I've said before, we've had some absolutely amazing guests who first and foremost take some time out of their very busy schedules, but then generously take us inside their commercial programs and share with us. So far, those have included Jonathan Prosser, Group GM, Strategy and Growth at Cronulla Sharks Group, Kim McConney, Senior Director, Sports Marketing at PepsiCo, Trent Lation, Founder at Boom Sales, Mike Wooten, Sponsorship Manager, Auckland, Community and Sponsorship at ASB Bank, and Stuart Ramsey, Head of Sponsorship at Southampton Football Club. Now, just a little bit of an update on some of those guests with some recent moves in employment. Kim McConney, has returned to Australia and taken up a role as head of Big Bash League at Cricket Australia. And Stuart Ramsey has taken up a role as head of business development at British Olympic Association. Congratulations to both Kim and Stuart on the new roles, and I'm sure you'll enjoy continued success. So the way our first edition of the best bits of Inside Sponsorship will work is that we've edited up some of the best bits, pulled them out, stitched them together, and I'll introduce them to provide some context as we go along. First off, let's hear from Trent Lation, who joined us in episode 36 to discuss the art of sales. Here's Trent talking about the true meaning of a warm lead. What's your opinion on the best way to ask somebody for an introduction? And should you be coaching them on what you'd like them to say in the intro or simply leave them to it? Look, I think most importantly when you're getting an introduction, again, we have another tool called the Arc of Influence. There's only ever four players in any buying process. So one is the deadly time waster, which we'll talk more about. There is a golden <laughs> a golden time waster that is the most deadly. Uh, there's an enabler, which is the connector, which is who you're talking about there, the referrer. There's the critical influencer, and there's the decision maker. So those four players form what we call the arc of influence. Okay? And if you're not connecting through the right player, you'll become a time waster. And if you're not investing in the right player, you also become a, a time waster. So ideally, you want to be getting referrals from people that are credible and people that are actually introducing you in the, in the right way. Um, if you're not, you're going in cold. And of course, it's the same as a cold call. As opposed to just saying, hey, Trent, you know, Bob, who works at ABC Company, can you introduce me if you're well, not yeah, the right person? I, you need to talk to Daniel. Uh, I know Daniel. Uh, he works for this sponsorship company. Great guy. Uh, he's pretty good from what I hear. He's a good guy. Yep. I've just uh, I've just flicked him your details. He's going to give you a call. Absolute waste of time. Ba-bow. 
Uh, the best way to get through there is uh, you have to speak to, to Daniel. He is an absolute genius. Every client that I've sent him raves about him and thanks me for it. I'm going to get on the phone now and give, you, give him a quick call and let him know that you're calling and you're actually uh, going in red, which is urgent, yes. credible and action-based. Trent also spoke about the concept of masterful questions and the need to dive deeper. It could be from the customer's perspective that you could have activated fear and it's highly likely if you've just called them randomly. Um, and I guess if you're calling um, strangers, in most cases, not only are you annoying them, you're disrespecting their right to privacy and there's a lot of question marks that get, get raised. Mm. So I guess in the new world, we need to have a process and we need to have, we'd have structure. And look, if you are having the right conversation with the right customer, then this is the time that you would use a masterful, uh, what we call a masterful question. Okay, so uh, if uh, is that your best price is a, is a typical question. Yes. Um, so a masterful response would be, are we negotiating? Mm. Yeah, so you're using questions as opposed to justifying yourself and, and going, getting into the trap of having a price-driven conversation when there's no value, there's no perceived value or tangible value created. That's the problem with outbound marketing. Uh, is it forces you to rush. Um, and when you're rushing, you're generally not at your best and you're uh, obviously uh, the c- customer's controlling the conversation, not not you. So in a perfect world, you're you're in control, but you're really guiding the, the, the conversation um, and asking questions and drilling deeper into the what you know about the customer, which is usually linked to the drivers, and the drivers are generally what's most important to the customer. Um so there, there's a real art, and when it, we talk more about process and more about structure, and when you have those things, you're in more control of the mm. conversation. Mike Wooten joined us in episode 33 to take us inside ASB, a New Zealand bank. Here's Mike talking about ASB's sponsorship and their absolutely fantastic activation of the Auckland Marathon. So I saw some of that video content around the ASB run down your rate activation at the Auckland Marathon. Absolutely cracking activation. Can you explain for the listeners what that was all about? Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the challenges I think that you know corporate sponsors often have with sponsorship is what role do you play within that event or what role do you play within whatever it is you're supporting? Um, you know, I think it's important to find a natural fit and I think it's important to find a way whereby you can either create a more positive experience with that event or program um, or you can alleviate some of the negative components. Um, and um, so I think, you know, for us it's all around how do we connect with them and how do we make that experience a heck of a lot better than what it potentially could have been. Um, so with that kind of insight, Run Down Your Rate was sort of one of those great ideas which ticked a bunch of those boxes for us. Um, but, yeah, I guess the most important part is that it gave us a role to play within that event um, and it added value and it made sense for our bank to be doing it. Um, the core concept behind it was, uh, you know, the faster you run, the lower your home loan rate would be. So um, average average marathon time, I think, today at Silicon Marathon was about 4 hours, 27 minutes um, at the time home loan interest rates were roughly around mid 5%. So, you know, we wanted to turn it in where, you know, people could win their marathon time as their home loan rate. So then 
you know, they had a really great story around their home, their home loan, how they got such a great rate. You know, they could then talk to their friends and say, you know, like I'm, I'm paying 3% interest rate on my home loan and everyone else would be absolutely gobsmacked as to how they got such a great rate. <laughs> Um, and they can tie that back into their marathon experience and say, well, actually, I ran a personal best, which is how I got my great rate. You know, the bank recognized that and gave it to me. Um, and so we thought this was just a fantastic idea. Um, and we end up getting 10 people who won the ability to run down their rate. We flew them and their families up. We gave them a really fantastic experience. Um, we gave them, you know, like all the latest running kit and helped them with their training. Um, and uh, as a result, six of them actually got their personal best um, for marathon running. Uh, we actually had one of the participants, she actually won the marathon for women. So she won the women's marathon. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, and I think she got a, she got a two-hour 20 time. Oh. So there was 2.2% home run rate for a couple of years. Nice. Um, and... What we were also able to do is we were able to tie in our charities into that. So we, we gifted that rate, the 2.2%, um, to a couple of deserving families from uh, Starship Children's Hospital as well. So I thought that was a really cool thing that we could do for them. Um, and then following that, we actually built on that campaign um, last year. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if the same thing happened in Australia, and I'm not too sure what the trends are around the world, but here in New Zealand, the... You know, the interest rates for home loans has uh, continued to decrease, so you can get some really good home loan rates. So it felt a little bit disingenuous to be saying, oh, yeah, you can try run down your <laughs> home loan rate when it's already in the low fees. You're going to have to run a world record to get a <laughs> yeah, better rate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, what we, did the, what we did last year is we said, okay, we'll open this up to the nation and say anyone in New Zealand can actually win uh, the winner of the marathon, they can win their time as a home loan rate. So we similar concept. We did 10 people, flew them and their families up. They come and watched the race and and supported um, Oscar, who actually won the race and got them a fantastic home loan rate. Mike went further to outline the important steps and possible hurdles for creating new activations. You said a couple of times in... in that explanation that it was a, a great idea, a fantastic idea, I 100% agree. How'd you come up with the idea and was it hard to get approval for it? Uh, yeah, the, the whole idea process is always uh, an interesting, interesting and sort of fun journey. Um, so we work with a few agencies and it was a bit of a collaborative approach with our agency. So, you know, they'll present ideas to us on a regular basis Um and quite often what will happen is they'll present an idea to us and we need to refine and sort of mould it so that it actually works for our environment, right? And some of the kind of, you know, the barriers to doing business that we know about through working in this environment. Um, and something like this that involves, uh, you know, regulation and legislation in the financial markets uh, is always going to be quite difficult to get across the line. But... Uh, you know, we're quite fortunate, you know, as I was talking about before, I actually really embraces their sponsorship and their involvement in the community, which I absolutely love being part of. Um, and so we've got a lot of really supportive people within the organisation who were able to advocate for doing a really good idea. And I guess the other 
you know, the other thing is, is that we really pride ourselves on being, yeah, uh, innovative and customer centric. So those are two strong pillars which we really focus on delivering value. Um, and the, the other beauty of this idea is that it was, it was, it was interesting enough and outside of the norm, um, that the, the onboarding that I had to do internally, you know, with legal and, um, making sure that we're compliant, um, you know, it was interesting to have those conversations with them and challenge them. And they were really excited about being able to create something and do something new. And so they were all really keen to find a way to make it happen. So oh, that's great. Yeah. So I was kind of a little bit lucky because it's, you know, never an easy one to say, Hey, you know, I know you guys have got tons of work on, um, <laughs> but here's a new concept that's never been done before. And can we make up some new rules? Yeah. And particularly when you're, you're probably, you already think it's a good idea and you're a bit attached to it and somebody has the opportunity to, uh, to kill it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but that's part of the job, you know, and, and everyone, at the end of the day, you know, this organization is absolutely great. Everyone's just trying to do a really fantastic job. And so, and, you know, and if you, and if you can talk reasonably with people and show them how it can be really good for them, people are pretty open to it. So. Finally, Mike shared some of the most common mistakes he sees when people are seeking sponsorship. No doubt you receive bucket loads of sponsorship requests each month. What would you say are some of the mistakes you see people make in the industry? Yeah, sure. Um, so some of the mistakes I think that I regularly see um, is uh, differentiating between philanthropic and, and sort of corporate sponsorship. So, you know, like, uh, I just tend to see that a lot of people's approach is is almost just expecting a handout and going, well, organisations have money, I need money, um, therefore I'll ask them for money. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's probably in its most simplistic form, and I'm, I'm sure there's plenty, plenty behind that, and that's probably not necessarily the case. Um, but I see that happen quite a lot, and I think... Uh, I think that there's definitely a role to play in the philanthropic space, but uh, I guess, yeah, a lot of people just kind of haven't thought about why they need money, what, you know, what an organisation can bring to the table other than money, you know, what, what is it about our brand that you want to be, why do you want to be involved with our brand, you know, what does that mean for your organisation, how is that going to help your organisation, and not seeing any of that thinking, I think, is a big mistake. That a lot of people make, and a lot of it comes through, and it's all about them. Um, it's all standardised benefits, so you know, uh, ten tickets for this, your logo associated on this, mm. um, without actually a lot of thought into, well, you know, what's a brand like? Uh, what's a brand like us? What, what are we actually looking for? And having shown that they've done some of that research and some of that thinking, like already puts you miles ahead of probably 90% of the other people that are asking for sponsorship. Stuart Ramsey, then at the time Head of Sponsorship at Southampton Football Club, joined us in episode 32 and spoke about the importance of storytelling and the relevance of humour. There's some stats out there that something like 75% of under 22s have ad blockers um, on their uh, on their computers. You know, So they're, they're turning this off and they want genuine interaction with brands. So I think, first of all, um, 
you know, we're is measuring the effectiveness. I think. Don't get me wrong, that you know the chairman's win partnership still exists. Uh, people are always going to go into these if the chairman says he wants to do. He's a supporter <laughs> of a club or loves rugby or something. He's got enough cash. Look, it's going to you know the, the chairman is go, going to still do it. Um, but I think that's becoming less and less apparent, um, and it's the storytelling. I think. You know, how am I going to measure this, the success of this campaign or partnership is always the question that's being asked now. Um, and in regards to storytelling, you know, how are we now going to put a heartbeat to that billboard? You know, how are we actually going to, to, to change things? Um, and, and, you know, brands have wised up to this. Um, you know, stories are what drives our lives. You know, whether it's our favourite TV programme, you know, uh, to our friends and you know, I was over in Ireland a couple of weeks ago and, and, and someone said, you know, storytelling is crucially important. I mean, you know, the Irish know more better than anyone because every time they go up to meet someone, they go, hey, what's the story? You know, <laughs> it, and, that, and that's just that's just ingrained in life. And, you know, I've got an Irish colleague and, you know, they'll say that to, to me. And, but that's why it's so crucial because it's part of our everyday lives. And, and if brands can get into that narrative, it's going to be so much stronger. Mm. Um, you know, where I think success has been reached for Southampton and rights holders as well as being consumer. Um, I think brands are taking a different approach and trying to get a sense of good feeling and positive brand equity transfer from themselves and a bit of content or the narrative onto uh, their potential customers. Um, I think being the biggest, best, flashiest is not always going to achieve the results and, and ultimately resonate with future future consumers. I think Humour has seen recently, we've had a couple of sort of award ceremonies in, in the UK. Uh, Samsung, uh, Road to Rio, you know, has got some, you know, fantastic um, accolades because they've, they've really uh, embraced humour. We, we at Southampton embraced humour uh, for our kit launch uh, last season. And, you know, we saw that hugely successful uh, in that. So I think, you know, really that, that measurement and storytelling is uh, the two main changes I've seen brand focus on. Stuart also spoke about how Southampton identifies possible partners and about how best to identify the USP for Southampton. I think we'd be naive to, to, to say that, you know, stupid to say that we don't go after the obvious categories that align with football. Beer, betting, you know, tyres, um, you know, we, we absolutely will go and knock on those same doors because they're large investors um, and, and it'd be silly for us to not to. But the crucial thing is, is about, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. And that's that kind of strategy there as well. So on the, on the other side, we've built a strategy where it has to be supplemented by um, your strengths, your vision and, and, and what the, the rights holder, in our case, our club has uh, unique that can cut through this crowded marketplace that is different to what others are uh, offering. And that's not just in football, that's in other sports. So, you know, of course we can um, leverage our IP, we can leverage the uh, Premier League, we're on TV, you know, many, many times a season, some territories, you know, every single game is on TV. Um, that is... Um, that is something that you know we've really we're going to be able to monetize. The second is really we've got to dig deep and find out what are we that is different to others, both in football and outside. And I think where we 
what we looked at and said, well, where, what is our North Star? What is our USP? And I think if you're if you're a football soccer fan, you might know the history of Southampton and, and the, the fact that you know we've been immensely proud that we've been involved in taking whether it's our players or our staff to the next level of their career from. Uh, Gareth Bale to Theo Walcott to even Postino as manager at Southampton, um, you know that's derived by our, our purpose, and, and our defined purpose is to turn potential into excellence. And so, with that purpose, we then go out and really focus on on brands and, and really try and tell our story that aligns with them. You know, we've nurtured some incredible football players over the years. Um, and we need to really be able to go and tell that story and align that with the right type of brand. So, um, you know, I can go into a brand and say, look, we're Premier League clubs. So if you've had 19 other Premier League clubs come to you, we've probably got exactly what they've got in their, in their sales deck. You know, I don't have that sales deck with me because it's, it's almost obvious sometimes to, those other, to, to some of the other brands. What I come is a, is ultimately we've got to look in what can our business, our vision, our purpose, differentiate ourselves and offer real business value. So for us, it's our staff, it's our knowledge, it's our methodology, it's you know, it's our it's ultimately our, a different type of IP that we have to, to cut through. You know, our trophies are not big shiny ones sitting in a cabinet somewhere. You know, our trophies are the players that you see in many different football clubs um, around around the country and, and arguably the world. You know, and, and what's created that? Well, it's been process and methodology that we can now look to transfer into businesses. So, for instance, for us, we're now going out and actually talking to brands uh, and helping them solve real business problems and then giving them that global platform to be able to tell that story. So, for instance, we're pretty good um, at, at training people, at developing people. And that happens to be on the pitch. Now we're looking to actually set up a, another business to go into businesses and say, look, we can take the methodology of what we or what we use with Gareth Bale and actually use it to your sales team or use it to your HR team or use it to your customer service team and help them develop um, into better people and reach their potential within your business. So actually, when a brand steps back, they go, well, look, yes, I've been able to get some, some fantastic awareness. I've been able to tell a fantastic story of development, but also I've managed to promote five new managers within my business and save a huge amount of HR costs looking outside. So that for us is unique to us, Southampton, but I think for other rights holders out there, it's about digging deep and really understanding what's, what is the most valuable piece of inventory that you have. And sometimes it could be the person sitting next to you. It doesn't have to be that billboard out the window. At the time, the Cronulla Sharks were the reigning premiers in Australia's National Rugby League competition, having won their first title since joining the competition in 1967. Jonathan Prosser joined us in episode 27 and spoke about the value of working with a variety of new business ideas and the establishment of an in-house creative arm of the business which focuses on business growth. Of the, of the five parts of the group, I primarily spend my time on foundation football club and licence club and in particular um, projects that hit more than one of those entities. Um, the internal piece is something um, I've been working a lot on uh, since getting back from the Christmas break and um, have just recruited um, four new interns to come and, and work with me in this new team. So the brand new strategy and growth team um, 
is a organization working under the tagline of if it hasn't been thought of before, then it's our business. And the primary focus of the team is on delivering non-traditional revenue um, for any of the entities within that group. Um, we work in a sort of model of posing an exam question um, that can be pretty broad with plenty of space on, the, on a blank piece of paper. Um, and then just just working on that in creative ways using different techniques to draw, draw ideas out of people and help them bounce off each other. Um, but it's effectively a bit like having a bunch of entrepreneurs or people that have experience of startups or business of different scales, but working within another organization. Um, and the reason for that is simply to drive greater revenue, not through some sort of great greed or anything, um, but we're turning around an organization that's had a pretty uh, rocky past financially. That'd be a bit of an understatement, I think. Um, and so it's through doing things differently that we hope to accelerate that turnaround, which is already happening at an astonishing pace. So in, in step and in parallel with the traditional areas of the organization really optimizing, um, we're effectively building a totally new business uh, within the Sharks, which will generate new revenues through a variety of partnerships, uh, joint ventures, equity shares, uh, distinct businesses that we set up and ultimately end up exiting. Um, you know, a really broad remit to to uh, solve the problem, however we however we may. Um, the people that I've recruited, uh, an excellent bunch of of young people. Um, we have a uh, fledgling. Um, strategic partnership with the University of Technology, Sydney, certainly the most innovative business school that I've been exposed to uh, in New South Wales, if not beyond. Um, so I've worked closely with them and we continue to do so. Um, and there'll be four, four new people coming in, working in two teams of two, um, taking these distinct projects of which we've got uh, 14 new businesses effectively to build, deliver, get them up and running, making money and then kind of build the growth plan for each individual business from there. So they um, intentionally have quite different sets of experience, uh, interests, focus, and even the modules that they've studied. So one has just completed his MBA. Um, he's got really strong analytical ability and has also demonstrated a, a great propensity to be able to think really creatively um, through to a young man who's only just finished school and is heading off to university um, and some of the ideas that he's <laughs> put together on paper already, um, you know, surprised me in a really good way. So some of them, uh, one of them, I think, actually, yeah, only one of them is a sports management major um, studying an MBA currently. He's a second year MBA. Um, so it'll be a rolling internship model. So there will be you know, fairly high turnover, but intentionally so. So we benefit as the Sharks from getting really smart, young, highly motivated people. Um, and the offer that we have put to them is really quite unique. You could go and work at a at a major corporate, and um, many of them have outstanding internship um, programs. But what they probably won't, you know, there's few that would be prepared with the right um coaching and, and um, leadership, but there's still few that would be prepared to say, right, here's a, a brand new business 
it's scoped to this degree. Some of them not at all. Some of them have been built or even piloted. One of the ones we were talking about, we piloted and the pilot was a complete failure. We know it works elsewhere and the people we're working with have an, a very strong reputation. We know that we just didn't execute it correctly. So um, some of these young people will get the chance to actually build a revenue-generating business, have their name on it, and at the end of their time, as well as all the coaching and mentoring that go along the way, to have that on their CV and then to go back to university and, and what we're looking at is potentially then how do we build that into the course content so that sports management today, effectively we want to write a new chapter for what sports management is for tomorrow um, through this type of innovative type work. And those people will, have be able, will be able to say, I came in, I worked on this business, we built a new business within a major sports brand and in the time that I was there, we successfully got revenues to X. And we've scoped it for the next three years through a business planning model to get to Y. Now, I think for a young person to be able to say that and sit down in an interview later on in life, I think that's a pretty fantastic opportunity. And um, the four, four people who are coming on board are certainly very excited by that. Jonathan also spoke about fan engagement at the Sharks and shared some of the truly moving stories following their historic grand final win. I know from our past conversations, Daniel, I mentioned you know my love for Italian football, which was on free-to-air TV in the UK when I was growing up. And I've you know I often think about that and the San Siro in Milan, where I looked up and there was a guy who didn't even watch the match, and he was risking his life hanging off one of the top-tier railings, conducting the singing with a trumpet or something. <laughs> and I thought, I thought, wow, I will never see a degree of fan engagement like that. Um, but here I have. And it's kind of unique because of the, um, the geography of the area. This is the one big sporting organization in the, in the area. And if, you know, you might love tennis or you might love hockey or play rugby union, but you'll still be a mad Sharks fan. And, and I think that's quite different. And, um, you know, it's no surprise that there's been some absolutely incredible stories which literally move people to tears uh, following the win. Not the, Not just the fact that, the Sharks won, but some of the amazing stories that came out um, afterwards, um, which I can share a couple of with you like. But It'd be great if you could share some of those stories and, and link the passion of the club. Sure. So we we work under the sort of the tagline of the direct, or the direction of being more than just a football club. Now, that's very real because we quite literally are with our sort of five main areas and different entities. But it's also a sort of a guiding principle. Um, Lyle's been very clear that um, we're not actually here just to win footy matches. We're not just here to win premierships. We hear a bigger calling, if you like. Hence the big focus on the foundation and and the amazing work that our community teams do. So um, because of that, I think it's kind of reflected in how people react. So the stories. Um, yeah, there's a there's a hundred sort of funny anecdotes about what this person said or how they were dressed and all this sort of stuff. But some of the really incredible things that came, whether people either wrote to the club or we, that we got told in person. One was a a lady that spoke to Lyle. Um, I think just a week following uh, the win, and this was just in a shopping centre, and um, she saw him and went over and said, I think this was in Westfield in Miranda. And said, oh, do you have a moment? He said, of course I do. And she said, can I just tell you that I've been married to my husband for 
X number of years. I think it was at least 20 or 30, and I've never seen him cry. Um, oh, wow. And after that game, uh, my husband, our son, and, and myself, she said, we're all sat on the sofa. Um, we watched the game, and um, we were all in floods of tears. And she said, you know what that's done to us? Literally, not that she was saying that they're... <laughs> Their relationship was in trouble or anything. That wasn't that wasn't the intent. She was saying, you know, this is it's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. It's really brought us closer together as a family unit. And um, you know, when you hear stuff like that, it's it's incredible. And you realise that it is more than just a football club, and, and it's not just about um, you know the amazing flair and the kicking and the try scoring and all that stuff. But actually, people are so emotionally engaged. Some people have waited their whole lives for this for this premiership title to arrive. Um, another one uh, was a, um, a family that wrote to explain that the grandparent in the family um, stayed up and watched the game, and she was a lifelong Sharks fan, I think originally from this area, but then living with family up in Queensland. And um, she, uh, I, I'm sort of paraphrasing slightly, but I think they watched the game. Um, they all went to bed, and she wrote a small note which said something like, um, I've waited my whole life to see this moment and I am so happy and this has given me such satisfaction and purpose. And um, her family found that note the next morning and, and she was resting peacefully and had passed away in the night. Wow. Now, you know, that's powerful stuff. Um, and it, again, I just share this to illustrate that point of, the really blessed and honoured position we have to um, just for a period to guide a, an entity, a club, which has such power to um, bring about such positive change to people's lives as individuals and families and in the community. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really, it's a really amazing place. Kim McConney, then Senior Director of Sports Marketing at PepsiCo, joined us in episode 19 and shared with us how Pepsi come up with the different activations they undertake, as well as how much they monitor what their competitors are doing in the sponsorship space. What we're focusing on very much is how do we take our brands and use sport as a way to better connect with the consumer. For example, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm actually here in Chicago working with the Chicago Cubs who are getting ready for their first playoff game and looking at how do we how do we integrate the Pepsi brand in a way which ensures that we cut through the clutter of the many sponsors who are out there leveraging the Chicago Cubs at the moment and we're actually leveraging you know a great innovation that we have around bringing you know surprise and delights to fans so we have a reserve section for Pepsi um, within the within the field, within Wrigley Field, and people can actually get the chance to sit on the bleachers and create a very unique experience for Pepsi fans and then obviously sort of socially amplify that experience as well. So that's what I spend most of my time doing is how do we leverage sport to elevate the fan experience in a way which helps us differentiate our brands from the clutter out there. And do you, um, how do you come up with those sorts of ideas about sitting on the bleachers and, and, and fan activation and amplification? How do you come up with those ideas? Ideas come from so many places. And I think what's really important is really understanding what your brand positioning is all around. Mountain Dew, for example, is all around how do we, 
how do we um, progress the sport? How do we become, you know, a, a, a spark uh, for our consumer? It's very much about an energising moment. So what you do is you take what that brand positioning is around and then you look, you really ideate with the, the sport partners, with the brand teams, with consumers as to how, do, how does the brand create a very relevant and meaningful role within that sport. How closely do you watch your closest competitors and, and keep an eye on what they're doing in the sponsorship space? Look, people automatically gravitate towards Coke. We don't spend a lot of time looking at Coke. We don't spend a lot of time looking at our direct competitors. We do spend a lot of time looking at who is doing interesting things within the landscape. Samsung does some fantastic things. Intel recently did some uh, really great work with the NBA around the All-Star and launched a new 360 um, camera, which enabled fans to really have a very uh, different view of the sport. So we spend a lot of time looking at who is doing things new, who is looking at things very differently, what technology is coming in. We spend a lot of time doing that. We don't spend a lot of time looking at our, our closest competitors. And is that, a, is that a formal process? Do you have you know, media alerts or are you part of groups that are sharing ideas or is it just generally keeping an eye on things and, and as they come across the desk thinking, look, that looks interesting, let's go and explore that a bit further? It's all of the above. But there's a couple of things that we do do. Um, once a month, we have a ideation inspiration forum. So what we do is we bring together, you know, quite a, a, a diverse mix of people from both inside and outside the company. And we literally just spend an hour and a half talking about what's new, different and interesting. And we get a lot of inspiration from that. We try and look from, you know, outside of our immediate um, competitive set and really sort of look at very broad globally what is happening within the sports landscape and within technology and who is doing things that we think um, you know we could really learn from and we that's something quite formal. We also in more the formal space we actually work with a, a, a futurist which sounds quite you know quite interesting but this is an agency which looks at culture and trends so whilst we do a whole lot of your traditional research, what we do is we use this agency to help us understand what is happening within the culture of sport, both from a fan point of view, from a league point of view, and just from an athlete point of view. We learn a lot from that. One of the things that we find quite interesting at the moment and we're watching the whole social media landscape is really giving rise to the power of the athlete. If you look at LeBron James and those type of iconic athletes, they are becoming their own channel. They're becoming their own media agency. They're becoming their own production agency. So more and more we're looking at the power of the athlete and the athlete as, you know, the whole channel and the best way to sometimes reach fans and really bring your brands to life. So that's something that has come about very much from some of the work that we're doing with this culture agency. Kim also spoke about what Pepsi look at when deciding to partner with someone. I think the great thing is being able to leverage both. So our leverage with our athlete partnerships, and LeBron James is not a, not a partner with PepsiCo, but someone like Russell, Russell Westbrook, who is, we work with him to be very nimble um, and we watch him very carefully. And when he does something really great within a game, we're able to react very quickly, real time. So it's a combination of real time, 
and being able to be relevant and in the moment, which is very important, but then also your traditional social media approach, which needs to be a little bit more pre-planned. What sort of process do you go through and, and what are some of the key criteria you use or, or look at when assessing whether a sponsorship is the right thing to pursue? That's a really great question because I can tell you we get bombarded by sponsorship every other day. Really? Every other day. <laughs> Surprising, isn't it? Surprising. Well, I, I would have thought a big brand like Pepsi would kind of be people wouldn't be silly enough to just bombard you with unsolicited sponsorship requests. I've made the wrong assumption. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But don't let that get out there because you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but but we but you know on, we are constantly canvassing new opportunities you know, all, all the time, and I think what we look for is a couple of things. And a great example is, you know, we've just recently onboarded our newest partnership, which is a sponsorship with the NBA, and we actually just completed our first year and about to go into the second year. And really, where that started was chemistry. Which, is, which may be surprising to some people, but we really wanted to understand, do we have the right fit for each other? What is our vision for what we would do with basketball and what is our vision of our partnership with the NBA and how does that match what their vision is? And actually we got a whole group of people in a room together before we even got down any negotiation path. The very first thing is we said, let's just go create what we think we could do together. And we spent some time building some ideas and we really love those ideas and that really helps facilitate the process because more often than not, you negotiate a deal and then when you go to bring it to life, it's like, no, you can't do that. No, oh, well, I thought you meant that. So we've really tried to flip it on its head and say, let's as a starting point build what we want to do together at many levels. It's not just big partnerships with the NBA. We do that even at, at, at very small levels. Um, and then we sort of go, okay, well, hey, we love that. We think it can work. Let's go do it. It helps avoid the situation where you're like, okay, I didn't realise we couldn't do that or I thought we could do this together. So I just sort of make sure that culturally and from a chemistry point of view, you're on the same page. Does it take a bit of, I don't know whether pressure is the right word, but does it take a little bit of pressure off the rights holders who is trying to secure uh, a sponsor and you might be a little bit guarded of being sold to where you say, look, let's just go through this process. Let's just explore it because we both don't know where it's going to go. And look, it might come out really well, but it might not. We might have this really open conversation and think, you know, it's not a good fit. And that leaves both parties well off. Does that whole process take the pressure off the process of securing a sponsorship? I think it adds, look, in some respects, it takes some pressure off because you know, very quickly you're getting to really what you can and can't do together and, and, and it's typically quite a motivating process. So in some respects it takes some pressure off. In some respects it takes some it actually puts some pressure on because very early on, you know, you're having to sign up for, you know, what you want to do together. And we love partners that challenge us. We love partners that push our thinking, but absolutely we're a partner that likes to pioneer. We're a partner that likes to be the first to do things. So I think in that respect, we, we definitely push the boundaries. So, it, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword. Listeners, that's a wrap for edition one of the best bits of Inside Sponsorship. I hope you enjoyed it. Of course, those guests we just featured were interviewed in full and you can head along to the show notes at sponsorv.net forward slash podcast where I've provided direct links. But if you want to get straight into them, Jonathan Prosser from the Cronulla Sharks was episode 27. Kim McConney from, at the time, PepsiCo was episode 19. Trent Lation from Boom Sales was episode 36. 
Mike Wooten from ASB was episode 33, and Stuart Ramsey from, at the time, Southampton Football Club was episode 32. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net. And don't forget that you can follow Sponserve on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs, and resources, head to sponserve.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn.